Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. It is good to be back. It has been uh, about a month or so, actually, since I've been done a podcast right? because we took a few weeks off. And uh, last week was, I was in a dental chair at this time. No, was your dental chair in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba? <laughs> it, <got laughs> was your, it did not was go well. Was your dentist's last name Castro by any chance? <laughs> Unfortunately, it did not go well. I know you all prayed. I listened to the podcast, a lot of, a lot of prayers and uh, texts from folks. Uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason, it didn't go very well. Uh, so I have to actually go back Thursday and finish the process. So I don't know what the Lord is trying to teach me through this, but I'm definitely paying attention. <laughs> here's the way I would put this. Is always when I, I try terrible. to when I judge uh, experiences that are, that are not pleasant, I, I I go by would I have told them where Osama was if I was in Guantanamo. Like when I got my ring finger (laughs) tattooed onto my ring, I was like, I would have sung like a canary, man. I'd be like, he's in Punjab, Pakistan. (laughs) Stop. So on a scale of one to Uh, giving up Osama uh, terrorists, like where would that have fallen in a solid eight? Yeah. I mean, once they start hitting, I don't know if you've ever had a, a root canal where the nerve ending gets touched multiple times. It's, 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 Probably not unlike sticking your finger in a light socket uh, involuntarily. So, yeah. So, so it's like they've stabbed you in the mouth, but you feel it all through you? Oh, it's indescribable. And, and those that have experienced it right. completely understand what I'm talking about. But it is it is like being electrocuted um, for sure. So good news is I'm on a little bit of a steroid pack to get the inflammation down. And they're going <laughs> to... They're going to jump back in on Thursday and hopefully get this thing wrapped up. So anyways, it, it is definitely good to be feeling a little bit better and, and back in the saddle for this, especially since we have launched a new sermon series, which I know we are really excited about. And this Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, you launched into Genesis chapter 37 in the life of Joseph. And this sermon series is called What's True About God, which is a bit of a head turner when you kind of mention it to folks and knowing that it's in the, that it's taken from the old Testament, taken from Genesis, taken from the life of Joseph, it's, it's probably the best title um, to, to help summarize the takeaways because a lot happens in the life of Joseph. Yeah. When we, uh, when we were talking about praying about and dreaming about like this series, I was I was excited because we're, we're going to be in the Old Testament. And the thing about the Bible is all the Bible is true. You know, whenever I hear somebody talk about they got a problem with the Old Testament, they really have a problem with Jesus then. Because when Jesus talked about the Bible, he was always talking about the Old Testament when he talked about true. God's Word. Yeah. So it is, a at best, an intellectually dishonest thing to say that I follow Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. Um, but when we started talking about Joseph... The thing that about the Bible, you can't go to the Bible as just a uh, list of good morals uh, of how to live a better life. 
uh, it just won't let you read it that way. Because by the time you get to Genesis 38 and he is screwing temple prostitutes, you know, we're going to get to Genesis 40 at some point and Joseph about to be selling the whole nation of uh, Egypt into slavery. Like there isn't a, a, a good moral compass from that, but you can look at that and say, what's based on this, what's true about God. And then when you answer that question, you can go back to what, well, then what's true about me? What's true about yeah. Joseph? What's true about Jacob? Yeah. If this is true about God. And so, and props to you because you're the one that came up with the name of this uh, series because I, uh, I was so far down, you know, my, my five hole, five hole. Yeah. <laughs> discerner just spinning out of control. Um, and it is a credit to our, if you don't know this, we actually work with a sermon prep team that works to help craft this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a huge gift to our, our church family. And so that, yeah, that came up in one of ours and it was like, that's it. Like, that's the thing. That's what we're, that's where this is going to go. So without any flannel graphs, without any trying to you yeah. know, deify Joseph, like what's true about God. And that's, yeah, that's what we started with on Sunday. Which is so funny you say flannel graph because I literally have, that is a very vivid memory I have is the flannel graph of Joseph in his coat of many colors and the brothers in the pit. Like that's, that's Isn't my it, earliest memory. And it's the flannel graph that, cause you know, some of them like the disciples were interchangeable. Like this one could be Peter and also James, right. whatever, but the For flannel sure. graph of Joseph, it had to be him cause it was the coat of many colors. So right. it was, you only knew like whatever that number was, I got to pull it out of the box. Cause he only gets one shot at this cause he's the coat of many colors guy. So you jumped right into Genesis chapter 37 and it was the first 10 verses um, where the context is he's with his brothers um, and he has a dream and he tells his dream. Have you, have you ever had a dream that you've told somebody and they're just like, they just don't believe, they don't believe your story. They don't believe your dream. Or it's a dream that you feel like is prophetic. Like this is, this is, this is what the Lord has spoken to me in my life. And people like laugh at you or scoff at you. Have you ever had that happen? I, Something vivid like that? No. So I've, I've always wanted to be that guy. I mean, I actually didn't know it wasn't normal not to dream. I don't dream that much. Oh, really? I had a, I got hooked up to one of those sleep test things. You ever do one of those? No, I haven't. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like they're not fair because I mean, I'm hooked up to diodes. I guess that's what they're called. Like yeah, wires all over this room. And I know there's like some 24 year old who has to stay up all night. She's probably slamming Mountain Dew and coffee <laughs> and, and I'm trying to sleep so they can test me. So I don't sleep good in a normal situation. I slept terrible in that situation, but, um, they, yeah, I walk out and they're like, yeah, you sleep. You're terrible at this. Interesting. Uh, you suck at sleeping. So I didn't know that until recently. And I, you know, I have, so I don't really have, uh, I don't have a lot of vivid dreams, especially anything prophetic. And I'd love to be a prophetic dream guy. I'm just, I don't, I don't sleep good enough. Prophetic I guess for dream it, but. Guy. Joseph was prophetic dream guy. Yeah. And so he has, he has these dreams that he, he's reporting back to his brothers and his, his father and it doesn't go so well. Yeah. So and that starts the story, right? That's just yeah, it jumps right in, really. Yeah, except it doesn't start the story. Uh-huh. It starts actually the verse right before it when it says, "This is the account of Jacob's generations." Yeah, that's good. And that is so important to this because um, if you're thinking and thinking, okay, if Judah is in the bloodline of Jesus, which he is, Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Why is it not the story of Judah that we're having this sermon series on? Why is the next 15 chapters, with the exception of one, Joseph seems to be the main character. And if if you take a step back, and again, what's true about God is this is actually the macro story of the generations of Jacob, of which Joseph is one, 
in which the other 11 brothers are uh, the others, including Diana, the sister, all that. And then the, the generations before that. And so to me, like this whole story turns on that. Yeah. You know, so we're calling it the story of Joseph because that's, again, everybody knows that. That's the flannel graph. That's the whole story. But it is a story about generations, which biblically speaking, in the narrative of the Bible, generations are everywhere. Uh, In fact, you get all the way up to Jesus. You can literally trace his generations all the way back to Judah, to Abraham, and then all the way back to Adam. And it tells us that, A, there was something important about the bloodline of Jesus in that, the scarlet thread. Um, In fact, in chapter 38, when Judah, uh, the baby that he has born, um, there's a scarlet red thread tied around its wrist. Oh, wow. Um, And there's that scarlet thread of Jesus that begins all the way into uh, Jesus. But but that was... uh, Reading that and realizing that all the way to Jesus, these generations, that, that actually changes the entire dynamic of this, of how uh, generations impact uh, the world. And so that's where we're starting with is it's a story of Joseph, but we're starting with that this is actually a story of the generations of, of Jacob. Yeah. And so Jacob and Esau, right? Yep. So there's a bit of a, I mean, just the Jacob and Esau story gives maybe a little context to even Jacob. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, Jacob uh, was considered a, how do we say this? He wasn't a uh, a manly man. That's not a fair way of saying it. He was a city boy. Yeah. Okay, so last week I'm out hanging out in the country riding horses. You know, I'm with some city boys. There's nothing wrong with them. They just not been on horses before. So for me, that's entertaining and I'm way more... Redneck that I <laughs> let on. That would be me. <laughs> but but at one moment I'd take a leather strap and smack uh, Joel's horse right on the rear end just to, you know just to get some fire under him. And um, but the, my point is that Jacob was a city boy, Esau was a country boy. Um, yeah, that's fair. But what Jacob ends up creating then is uh, as a city boy, you know, he's the guy that gets the uh, the, the birthright, the inheritance, and Jacob is the guy that basically creates this environment for his 12 sons and I can't remember if it's two or three daughters someone can email me and tell me I'm wrong right uh, creates these really good times for them to be uh, living in dysfunctional absolutely yes. but good they're stable they've got uh, herds of livestock they're they're not scraping for money uh, Jacob the city boy creates some really good times for these specifically 12 sons that they were born and raised into so Jacob has these 12 sons. Now, the sons, it's it's mentioned in the first several verses here, they're not all from the same mother. Oh, man, yeah, isn't that the correct word? So yeah. there's, there's that we're also dealing with. Uh-huh. Yeah, Jacob, um, if you remember the story, uh, he has gone away to find a wife, and he... Uh, this he gets to this uh, this far not too far away a little bit far away place and he uh, uncle this is uncle Laban because I guess it's still like Arkansas because you can marry your cousins and he uh, he sees Rachel at the well this that famous story where he thinks she's smoking hot he wants to marry her he's got to work for seven years for her and I'm trying I was actually I mean I, I my wife and I were engaged for a total of three months and that's if you're being generous it was more wow. like two months and yeah I know Micah's over here like what what <laughs> yeah Micah for those who don't know Micah's getting married in less than two weeks 
Week and a half. Week and a half. Man, I got to put a tie on, don't I? Anyway, uh, so for yeah, like two and a half. I mean, I don't know. I'm just what I've worked for seven years for Shannon. I mean, don't get me wrong, smoking hot. But seven years. Anyway, turns out she's the wrong guy, or wrong girl, and there's that whole story that unfolds. And so he ends up marrying Leah, and he works another seven years. He's got Rachel. And Rachel wants babies. Yeah. She struggles with infertility. Next thing you know, you know, she's like, "Hey, well, will you sleep with my uh, handmaiden, Bill Hahn?" Which I got to think, if, if my wife floated that out, that's a trick question. The answer yes. is no. Correct. No. Um, so don't fall for that, guys. That's a trick question. But for some reason, it wasn't a trick question in his day. And by the way, for those that think, okay, this is a case for plural marriage. Uh, for polygamy in the Bible, you're not reading the Bible right. The, all this did is create a giant mess in this guy's life and in the lives of everybody that were there. But from all these, uh, there's two handmaidens. There's Rachel's handmaiden. There's Leah's handmaiden, Zilpah, Vilpah, Rachel, Leah. And suddenly he's got like 12 sons and two or three daughters and, yeah. uh, and a giant Jerry Springer family. But again, living in pretty good times because of the economic security that they were given. Was that not a... Uh... Could could it be said that that was a bit of a generational thing too? I mean, his grandfather was guilty of the sim- similar thing, right? Abraham. Uh, Abraham. Yeah, I mean, if you think back, Abraham gets to Egypt and says that Sarah. I will say one thing: generational about these guys, the the Abrahams, uh, they liked hot women uh, <laughs> because his, his wife was so hot that the the, uh, the king of Egypt's like, I want to marry her, and he's like, she's my sister. You can have her. That's right. Right. Can you imagine Jenny? Like how, uh, Oh my gosh, dude. That's not good. Right. How that is not going to fly at all at our house. But uh, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't the best example. Again, this is why the Bible is not to be read as a book of like, let's act like Abraham. Right. Um, pick and choose. I'd act like Abraham. It's, I said this Sunday, but it's true. The best hermeneutic is a hymenutic. I'm looking for Jesus on every page of this thing. And so, yeah. You know, it's it's definitely a, a family line thing, but you know, I would take it further and say that there's a the generational thing to it. That there's a, and I touched on it on on Sunday, and um, I had so there's a book by a guy named Stefan Arnio. I can't remember how to pronounce well done. Um, I'm probably saying his name wrong. He he wrote a book called Hard Times um, Create Good Men. And by the way, he is, uh, he died at 33 years old, uh, just last a couple years ago. Oh, wow. But this book is, um, I don't know if I recommend it. it so Stefan was not a Christian guy. Uh, I would, uh, I'm, if I were to guess, he would probably have fallen under the stoic line of thinking, Marcus Aurelio, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson-esque kind of thinking. Um sure. But the book is amazing because he's basically making a case that what's happening in our society right now is we've got an entire generation of weak men. And he doesn't pull any punches. He's not saying weak people. He's saying weak men are what are causing this problem. Wow. Um, And he makes a case for strong manhood. And, you know, obviously manhood itself is under attack in our culture. Uh, You know, basically the idea of conflating uh, abusive behavior uh, and calling it toxic masculinity then throws all masculinity out the sure. window. And so, the, anyway, this book, Strong Men, Hard, hard Times uh, Create Strong Men, and that's the idea of this book. And it sent me down a giant hole of going back and remembering this report that I read back in uh, the early 1990s is when it was written. I probably read of it 
few years back. It's a classic Darren moment. I read something completely fascinated by it and then just put it away and forgot about it. But I was remembering it because what I remembered was in the Strauss-Howe theory, I, I hate to repeat it because I did teach it on Sunday. So if you haven't listened to Sunday, go back. Is that generation, so they went back 500 years and they decided, they figured out that generational, the, the idea that history repeats itself is not just a vague ethereal idea. It's a literal pattern that they could, uh, in the, at least 500 years of Anglo-Saxon history, could point out that it actually is an 80-year cycle that has repeated itself over and over and over again. And that's what's happening here. The cycle, and here's what made it jump out to me, was um, they used in the Strauss-Howe language, they gave the archetypes of of the generations. Um, So now it's like millennials, busters, but where would you fall in that, Mo? Well, I mean... Technically, I'm a zillennial, not a millennial. A oh my gosh. So, Is it like a transmillennial, like transennial? Like, no, transennial? No, it's, both? it's Generation X. I was on the very end of Generation X. I was born in 1980. So the very end of Generation X and the very beginning of... Uh, what, what is defined as a millennial. Got it. Okay. So we're like, there's like a seven year gap in there where, where if you were born during this time, you went through elementary school without any internet, any computers, etc., but came out of high school completely capable of running computers okay. and had an email account and uh, understood, you know, the interwebs. Right. And so, I'm called a Zillennial. Okay, that's fascinating. So I'm Gen X all the way, man. Yeah. Like Rob Lowe, Molly Ringwald, you know. Yeah, that was not on my radar. Pretty in Pink, <laughs> Breakfast Club. I'm Full House, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters. And, and the uh, Topanga show. What was the Topanga Boy show? Boy Meets World. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I was not one of those. I was... I was <laughs> I was full blown well into my adult uh, life and would have made me a total perv to have been sure. watching uh, Boy Meets World and enjoying it at all. Right. Although you weren't that much younger than me, you were ten years. Well, so I mean, were... that's a decades worth of uh, TV but, shows and culture. Well, how old were you when that was on? Fifteen when Boy Meets Me? Uh, no, it was. I was like twelve, thirteen. Okay, so that's fine. Because if you were like eighteen or nineteen, that's still like perv adjacent. Like it's not like yeah, it fully. But the point of this is that they gave these arch- they gave these uh, generations actual archetypes. So the idea of, of generational personality that's not new. That's something that sociologists and uh, people who study these things have been saying for a long time. But they've in their cycle would say that in the eighty year cycle, then it breaks into twenty year cycles inside of the eighty okay. years, and it can get so confusing. And I want to try to make it clear, but uh, they would say that the, the the hard times create the strong men starts the cycle of what they call the prophet. And the, pro, and the which will maybe jump out at me because this is very biblical language from a very secular study. And the, the journey of the prophet starts with, they are the men that are saying the hard things that nobody wants to hear uh, and, and being massacred for it. Um, so you go back in, in 1940 was the last time that okay. they would say this cycle happened and you would go and you would look at William Neville who thought in, in uh, England, well, we can really uh, talk with our friends over in Germany and I'm sure if we're really nice to him that oh, he'll wow. be nice to us. So this was, and he, one of the things that was his downfall was he, he, he flies to you know Germany, meets with Hitler, they're going to do this treaty and then like within a day or so, whatever, he's invading Poland. He's like... He, he completely misread the room. Wow. He was a weak man in a hard 
time that was unfolding. And then you get to, you know, Winston Churchill, who was actually past his prime at that point. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. he was a blithering. If you have not seen Churchill, the film, it's really, it's good, really worth the, the watch. But that film uh, sets up that that's what was happening. And, and here's the thing. When you look at what happened with Churchill, he was not. So the 20 year cycle says this. By the time you're 40, 42 range, I think they say 42 to 65, is Strauss how that you are at maximum influence in your life, okay? It doesn't mean that you're the one that's going to be the leader, but you are the ones in that generation that are, that are deciding what culture is going to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? So while you know, Churchill might have looked like an old bulldog been hit in the face with a pan that, uh, with jowls and the, you know, cigars and <laughs> right. weird, weird quirks, it was the 40 to 60-year-olds that put him into power to put him into that place with it. So that 20 years then gives way to, uh, you know, so obviously World War II, he's, he was saying what was true. William Neville is, is nuts. This guy does not want to negotiate. We're going to have to look at the hard truth. And his fireside chats were like infamous where he would sit by the fire and just tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, and it gave way to the generation that they, they call the, uh, the nomad, um, which, different versions, the lost generation, the whatever, you know, but it's, uh, they're, they're nurtured during this, you know, spiritual, uh, spiritual awakening. They're going to grow up almost as even unprotected children is what mm. their, their theory would say. Um, so again, dad's away at war, uh, all this crazy stuff. I'm home trying to be the man of the house. Cause I don't know if dad's going to come home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and out of that, you end up with these generations that, uh, that, that, that brought us like Dwight Eisenhower, um, but you, you would think like, so they're, they're reaching new heights. They're stretching out, whatever. So you would think like John Kennedy uh, for Americans, John Kennedy and not Richard Nixon. Um, you know, Kennedy was no moral compass for anything. Right. Uh, but he was, you know, a rising up and, and, di and did some things that were, that saved us, honest to God, from a lot of really bad things. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was surrounded by a bunch of guys that wanted to literally destroy Cuba, or like literally nuke them. That would our, you and I might have grown up in a completely different world if yeah, that had happened. Sure. But here's a nomad. He races in that, and uh, uh, that nomad generation uh, gives way into what he would call the the hero generation. Um, the, the heroes are going to like they actually enter. They would probably even enter enter adulthood during the crisis, even though whatever crisis that the world had had. And yeah. So anyway, you would think like Ronald Reagan, uh, not Jimmy Carter, sure, because they're going to create. Uh, economic stability. They're going to create what, what, what we grew up in, the world you grew up in. Yeah. The fact that you could sit around and watch Boy Meets World yeah. and Full House was because of generations yes. before you. It's true. Yeah. But then from that generation, the next one that comes along uh, is this generation that they would call the artists. Um, they grew up in, in, in that. And it's honestly, it's you and me, really. Sure. Uh, that have grown up in that, uh, creating this world now for our kids you know, my kids did not have to suffer the way that I suffered. And if you think about it, how many times as a father have you might have said the idea, I don't want my son to have to go through what I went through, so I'm going to do this so he doesn't have to. Not thinking about the fact that what you went through was exactly what it was that made you into who you are. Very true. Um, this is true on a very micro level when you look at the sons uh, and daughters of very, very, very wealthy people. Yeah. You know. Paris Hilton, uh, 
the Kardashians, whatever. They're a hot mess, but that's because their parents were able to afford to protect them from it. Totally. Um, Malcolm Gladwell says that uh, he calls it the law of diminishing return uh, in his book, The Tipping Point. And he says that once you reach $75,000 a year, uh, sure, I'm probably adjusted for inflation. That's probably close, so 85 <laughs> or 90. Now. But, but that, once you get that, there is no more benefit to that. You start diminishing with it. Um, that is the very long, deeper version of saying, going back to Genesis. Yes. Prophet, nomad, hero, artist. Abraham was a prophet, right? He was speaking truth into madness. And he is uh, being called to a country he knows not. Yes. Uh, it required courage. It required faith. It required all those things. Uh, and he gives birth to a son named Isaac, the nomad, right? Like the, the forgotten generation that, you know, he, but he's reaching new heights. He's the guy that climbs Mount Moriah with his father. A lot of people, when they hear the son of uh, the Abraham is going to sacrifice his son on an altar, they envision this little child. Right. No, he's a teenager. He was 33. 33. Did you know that? I didn't realize he was 33. 33. What a cool number. Turns out, right? <laughs> Mount Moriah, 33 years old. You think that a you know 95-year-old guy forced his 33-year-old to climb a mountain? Wow. No way. Um, and from Isaac gives way to Jacob, the, the hero generation. He is then creating the wealth. He's the, creating the stability. Yes. Creating some good times that his sons are now born into, and they're now the weak men creating hard times. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my goodness. Very interesting. And to be able to find probably, and I'm just going to go on a limb here, it's just my opinion, but probably one of the most repeatable, recognizable, generational namesakes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Like you hear that over and over in scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, like that's one of the most recognizable yeah. uh, generation lineages in the Old Testament. And to, and to find that pattern... And it match was, it. It was mind blowing. Is 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 pretty astounding and really insightful. And the pattern repeats. And again, so these aren't hard and fast rules. So it's not like right. Okay, we're at year eighty and now it's over. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, or sometimes it's year eighty. And you're like, okay, we got some stuff going on. That's that's very you know. Yeah. But you go to like Jesus. Jesus is born, and, and his generation is right before. And if anybody wants to go down a deep hole, please yeah. do it and report back to me. The the generations immediately coming to Jesus. I don't have a lot of information on them. You know, okay. I got Joseph, but I don't know a lot of that. True. But I do know this, that 70, 75 years after Jesus's uh, death or birth, I'm sorry, Rome destroys Jerusalem, mm. destroys the temple, and the cycle started over again Interesting. for them. So 75, 80 years into that one, same cycle. And, prophet, and you can, yeah, prophet. you can find it throughout like judges, chronicles, kings, that cycle of, of that. And what I saw in it was this, then if that's true, yeah. Okay. What can we learn from Judah and his brothers and sisters, the generations of Jacob for our generation? Because it is 2020 and 40 years ago or 80 years ago, was the last what, what Strauss how they call it the turnings they actually use like winter spring fall uh, summer language so winter is like the bad times like that's right. the so the last winter was 1940 okay uh, 80 years later is 2020 80 years later also known as uh, today right now literally right now 
Yeah, I mean, that is the question. What does what does that insight mean for us today in America, in our own personal lives, in our families, right? Like in in our family lineage. But I, I think it's the bigger question generationally, like in, in America specifically or in the West, what, what insight should we have? And what are we seeing take place right now that lines up with some of this? And what do we do about it? Yeah, I, it's the right question. First of all, it's the right question because if you're looking around the last year and you don't think that maybe the, the, we're in some hard times right now, yeah, I don't even understand you. Yes. Um, and if you're young and you're asking, are we in, is, this, is this bad or is it as bad as I think? We've been through bad times before. The, the, the answer, short answer is this is bad. Like this is not good what's happening right now. Yes. Even our response to it, not good. Printing money without any sense of the consequence at all. Yeah. Uh, the, the solutions have had literally no bearing whatsoever on reality. Uh, like what do we do in that? And that is what I think we have to take from this is that th- there are weak men who are creating hard times yeah uh much of the hard times we're experiencing right now let's you know let's take the student loan crisis was a hard time is a hard time created by weak men and what i mean is this that back uh in the 90s the idea was that everybody should be able to go to college sounds like a good idea on paper doesn't it um and the way that we're going to do that is we're going to make sure that everybody wants to go can go and we're going to give you loans for that so now you've got universities that have literally access to un, like unregulated money. And what does a university do? Like, we, we want to compete for that because now everybody can go to college. So now we want to compete for that. So universities are putting in like Olympic-sized pools. Did that make them the hero? Um, so that is the hero generation that has created the, the hard times because they're like, here's or the good times, right? And the good times are going to create the weak people. So you end up with these... People coming in saying, this is easy. You should all get it. You know, and so, you know, you go, I mean, my, it happened with us. My daughter's looking at this school in Atlanta and she's not talking about the education there. She's talking about the student center and how awesome oh, the cafeteria is and the amenities. It's like she's going to like sandals, all, re, you know, inclusive <laughs> resort. And then they throw money and it's not free money. It's a loan. So you've created this idea that everybody, the only way to be successful is to go to college. And then you create the idea that, and everybody should go to college. So we're going to give you money to do that for. So schools spend all this money. They start charging more money. Kids still think they got to go to college to be able to survive. They start loaning them more money. I mean, honest to goodness, in what planet can a 19-year-old get $195,000 in unsecured debt? Like you're right. If, 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 if right. Micah right, decides today he's going to go get a, a mortgage on a house, which actually is a secure debt that actually has a way to back it up, right. there, you know, he, he couldn't get it because he doesn't have credit history. He doesn't have the, all those things that banks do, but the laws are suspended because the government says we're going to back it up. And what that means is the bank has zero risk. And it also means that you, as a young man, young woman, come out of college five, six hundred, $1,000 a month worth of debt that you can't bankrupt out of and you end up with a job that's paying you $50,000 a year, you'll never be able to pay your way out of it. And it's creating an economic crisis. Uh, when I first started talking about this just a few years ago, it was 1.2 trillion. As of today, yeah. 
it's almost two trillion dollars. Yeah. That is an unimaginable number. And because of the COVID crisis last year, one of the things everybody said, let's do is, well, we'll, we'll uh, suspend payments, postpone payments. So for the last you know, year or two, or last year, people have not been paying their student loans. That doesn't mean that the loan's going away. It means it's going to be waiting for them when they get back. All they did was kick the can down the road. Right. Point is, we got an entire, gen- that is just one instance in our culture right now of a hard time that is being created by weak people. Yeah. Um, from the everybody gets a trophy generation, we now have young men and women. And I'm in a place in my life right now when my 16-year-old, 15-year-old son is saying he's thinking about not going to college. I'm like, boo, yeah, that, don't do it. Because <laughs> it's just a sucker's bet right now. If you yeah. are, are going to a school right now where you're going into debt, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. Dude, I met this, this young lady last week who is uh, in the music world. She just graduated from Belmont. Okay. Okay. To be in Christian music. Oh, no. She's 23 years old. She's an intern for a, an organization. Like, so I, and I have, by the way, I have no idea whether or not she is in debt, but I will say this Belmont's 40 grand a year. Right. Okay. She would have spent, even if she paid out of cash, and let's say dad and mom are ballistically rich, $120,000 for a career that you would start somewhere in the $0 range. Cause sure. I, promise you bet my left arm that her version of intern means she's not getting paid right she is making starbucks coffee and hoping to find a ride into this some way wow. with it and the point is that that's a crisis like that that, that is a slow moving crisis that's happening in our culture right now created by weak people and that does not even begin to explain the crisis that we're experiencing in our international relations the idea that we could just be really kind and talk to you know the Ayatollah right. if we just really if we're really nice to him the guy that says death to the big Satan and death to the little Satan and that he'll be nice and we'll be you know uh, that's not helpful you know when we send uh, I mean it was it's not even it's the stuff of movies but like sure. when in the last president uh, sends pallets full of cash to the Ayatollah of Iran like that's actually confirmed thing. Sure. Like Walter White sending cash <laughs> to the Ayatollah, and it's, it did us no good. It got one hostage freed, right? So you're, whatever. But that's the generation we find ourselves in, and so we've got the potential for worldwide calamity and war. You've got a, a debt crisis that is unprecedented in humankind. And by the way, every 75 to 80 years, a global currency reset happens as well. So for those keeping sure. track at home, uh, the last time was World War II uh, when that happened. So we're due for one of those again oh boy. as well. Uh, my money uh, is on Bitcoin is what I'm being told is the new one. I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not. I don't know. Elon Musk says it is. So. Um, that's our modern. And what I want to learn from Joseph uh, in this study in these weeks is how do we be the Joseph in the Judah generation? Because it's Judah's generation that should have been the story. Judah should have been the highlight of these next few chapters. He is in the bloodline of Christ every other time. As far as I know, let's say most times, so I'm not speaking with that much. When you see in an Old Testament story, the character itself, whether it's Ruth, whether it's uh, Rahab the harlot, whether what, Bathsheba, they all are in the bloodline of Christ. So they they become the main part of the story, not on accident. But in this one, Joseph is not in the bloodline of Christ. Judah is. and the, But we're not paying attention to Judah because he caved as a weak man uh, at a time when we needed strong men. And I want to learn 
from that that what's true about God is that God was the God of the pit. He's the God of the prison. He's the God of the palace. He's God in all those places. And if that's true, that means that I can be, you can be, a Joseph in these generations. And I want to learn in these next few weeks, like what was it that made different Joseph different than his brothers? What, what set him apart from them? Because that is, I mean, we desperately need Joseph's rising up right now in our culture and around the world. What do you think that looks like? What do you think, what do you think a Joseph personality, character trait, calling looks like in Western culture or, or just globally, like what is, you know, and I think that looks different probably in the West and, you know, in different parts around the world. Like what does that Joseph mentality look like in Uganda where we have churches, we have Christians assembling. Um, we have, we have a lot of work happening in Uganda, in Haiti, in America. Are those, is that same spirit of Joseph that, that characteristic the same or is it different depending on kind of what's happening even locally? That's a great question because I think that it's interesting. You look at individual cultures. Um, do they have their own individual 80 year cycles? I actually think they do because it's the sin cycle. Um, yeah. But then there's the macro, which is the global cycle, which is really what I've focused on here. The 80 year cycle is, is a global one. Yeah. But the, here's what I do know. What, like what we even talked about a little bit on Sunday was that the main thing, the main difference between Joseph and Judah and his brothers was that when Joseph uh, was confronted with the truth, he believed it and he acted on it. Yeah. Okay. And his brothers saw the truth and didn't like it and rejected it and tried to work their way around it. Sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Right. Because... If there's anything we know right now, and they, look, they're not even lying about it anymore. Like they, the last year, they had, the entire strategy for COVID had nothing to do with truth. It was about scare them straight. Sure. The idea that if I can scare them enough, then they'll listen and they'll obey me. Compliance. Compliance. 50% of the people did that. We're scared. I'm terrified. I'll do whatever you tell me. Um, another 50% were like, well, I probably didn't make it quite that easy because there was a certain percentage that this is just no problem at all. The whole thing is imagined. But there were a group of people that I want to say that I was among that said, I don't don't just shoot it to me straight, doc. Like, just right. tell me what's actually happening and then let us make decisions based on that. So listening to the truth and then basing your decisions on what is true is, I think, step I know it is step number one. Yeah. And it may be that, you know, the Joseph generations might be arising from the plains of Africa, mm. you know, from the deserts of North Africa, from Asia, from, yeah. because there's a group of young men and women there that are rising up uh, that are fearless. They're not, they're, they're not afraid to suffer for truth. Is it because they have already? They've already been in hard times. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I say that I be, I mean, I do believe this that the prophets of our, our generation of America are among us right now. Yeah. The 20 year olds, the, you know, up to the millennial age, like there, there are prophets there right now um, that are, are looking at the madness and saying, this doesn't add up yeah. in it. And what do we do about that? And it again, starts with, and I, I go back to Joseph because he, 
it was a dream, but it was a true dream. And the way that uh, Genesis thirty-seven ten verse, I think it's 11, when he says Jacob kept the matter, the word the matter is the Hebrew word actually is used in Genesis fifteen two, Genesis 14, 3, a couple other places when it's referred to as the word of the Lord. So Jacob kept the word of the Lord in his mind. And what that tells me is that he was keeping the truth in his mind. He didn't like it. It says he rebuked his son. Are, we, are your mother and I going to bow before you? You know, which tells me, by the way, that they understood they weren't just mad that he was a bratty kid. They believed the dream because when he says your mother and I, yeah, his mother's dead. Right. She died in childbirth. That means that he sees this even as an eternal thing yeah. that Rachel will be there and bow down as well. So he sees it as an eternal thing. He believes it, but he kept the matter in mind, even if you don't understand it, right? You're protecting it in your mind. And I'm really proud to say that our church conduit locally, I see tons of young people and millennials and teenagers who are keeping the truth in their mind. That's our hope for our cycle. Because even in this story, Joseph is roughly the age of... He's 17. 17. Yeah, yeah. because people want to give him a hard time. And I did. I'm thinking, well, of course he's dumb. He says dumb things. He's 17. I mean, good Lord. I, you know, I did some really dumb, <laughs> some dumb stuff at 17. But the fact is, is that at 17, he was already trusted enough by his father to be reporting to him what's going on with his brothers. His brothers, I mean, just read the, neg- the chapters right before. These were some guys that had made, they were making very hard times for themselves with yeah. really dumb decisions. And Joseph told the truth. He, he gave a bad report on his brothers. You know, the snitches get stitches. I understand our modern context. But the fact is, is the report was true. Enough where his father trusted him for it. And so whatever it was in Joseph, it wasn't just that he uh, was young and it wasn't just that his dad was kissing up to him. There was something about Joseph, the way that he was choosing to live. Because you'll see it again in the pit. You're going to see it in prison. You're going to see it in the palace. This is the pattern of Joseph's life that followed him throughout that I see with our young people right now. And that pattern, I think, is that they see the truth and they adapt to what the truth is instead of asking the truth to adapt to them. That's good. Totally different way to live. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially this past year was a catalyst like none other. So you have you have this generation. You know, I even think of my, my sons that are, you know, 19 and 20 years old being forced uh, to believe a narrative about what is true or not true, just culturally, you know, everyone can have their own truth, but, you know, essentially kind of being thrown into the pit as it were of this is the way it is. This is how it will be. This is what you should believe. This is what you're supposed to do. You know, everything from compliance to trust the science um, and seeing not just my kids, but those that same age and same, same generation pushing back yeah, and saying, no, no, not, not so fast. Um, questioning, um, speaking truth in boldness and courage. Uh, that's, that's encouraging to me, not in a rebel sense, but also in a rebel sense. Yeah. In a, for re- the truth and a rebellion for truth. Yeah. I actually, have felt this glimmer of hope because like when I was young and listening to the government, whatever I, 
you know, some of the lies. I mean, there were, there's always been lies. I mean, politicians, whatever. But, but this past year, it's been so obvious in so many ways. Uh, even Fauci, when he says, well, you know, when now he says that uh, to, to reach uh, herd immunity, it has to be 85%. But, you know, I, I said that back in the day, uh, whatever, back in the day, it was like six months ago. <laughs> I said it was 50% because I didn't think the people could handle the truth yet. Yeah. Okay. That is also known as lying to us. Yeah. And so what this young generation, including my son, are thinking is, okay, that guy lied to me because the ends justify the means. I can't trust him. I can't trust. So to see that there's an agenda that could be out there, whether for good or bad, I don't know that Fauci's a guy trying to kill the whole world or Bill Gates, whatever. But I do know this, that they're trying to shove an agenda down us that was not based on science, but based on narrative. Yeah. And this generation coming up right now is in a, as good a place as any I've ever seen to not put your hope in government, to not put your hope even in public health care. Uh, that, that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to know that, that, you know, Jesus, you know, what is truth, right? And Jesus says, I am the truth. I am truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that is, I don't want to say step number one, but I think it is the, throughout your lifetime, holding on for the truth. The, the, the pastors, the leaders in this last year that, that rose to the top, even the government leaders, are ones that didn't fall to the narrative, yeah. but they went with Truth, you know, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been Governor Ron DeSantis six months ago. I, I guess I can a little bit because I remember what it was like for us. This is a micro version. Sure. We're going to reopen the church and we're going to have kids service, you know, based on not a narrative, but based on the truth. You know, is it risky? Sure, it is. Uh, yeah. And the truth being, we know who's vulnerable. Yeah. We're, we, we encourage you to take those precautions to make, to self-govern. Um, you, Based on stats, we know who's vulnerable. You know who's vulnerable. Yeah. Certain age with certain comorbidities, take the precautions. Like, yes. That's the truth. It's those that are not vulnerable that have to be succumbed to all of these ideologies. Right. And we have dear friends that uh, they're in that category. We had dinner with them the other night, uh, but they've stayed home. I want them to stay home. Correct. Um, wisdom. Yeah. I've asked them, uh, I've asked a few people, and by the way, a few people in the church that I've asked are like, you know what, thank you, appreciate it, understand the risk, I'm not staying home. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to die, stay dead while I'm still alive, I'm going to live. So 100% their choice to make that choice. But the truth was what we needed, and we needed to adapt to the truth, not adapt the truth to what we want. Yes. That is a Joseph in a Judah generation. Yeah, that's good. And for this next season, where lies are everywhere, uh... The fake news, you know, that Trump made so famous, and it, I hate it because it made it such a caricature that the fact of the matter is, you know, it, it made it such a caricature that people don't understand that that actually is a thing. Like, there really is uh, legacy news media organizations that are pumping fake narratives. So, for instance, let's go back to Fauci. He said that 50% was a herd immunity, and now he says it's 85%. So why did nobody go back and flag his account when he had all those 50% tweets and right. say that you lied and you know your, your, your account's taken down? And the right. answer is that there are 28 to 30-year-olds who just graduated from some Ivy League university with an exact progressive ideology that fits exactly with the ends justify the means. Those are the voices that could destroy our culture could destroy the very fabric of our society and what we have got to have is whatever whatever this next cycle is 
that these Josephs are available to rise up in it. Because what we know is this, and this all sounds nihilistic and it's hopeless and it's, here's what I know. This cycle has happened before. Right. And should Jesus tarry, it's going to happen again. Sure. And whatever cycle you're in, Jesus is still Lord. Whatever cycle you're in, Jesus could have stopped the cycle when he was born. He didn't. He saved us from our sins, not from our cycle. Uh, when he returns and the, at the restoration of all things, and I truly believe, part of me wonders, you know, why, why we got to wait so long? Why is it got to be? I, you know, we're going to have a million years into eternity, but we'll be able to look at this little blip of you know ten thousand or so years of human history and say, well, we tried it our way, that didn't work so good. Right. Uh, we tried it all, and, and, and all it kept up was over and over again, eighty years at a time. We kept screwing it up. So Jesus, whatever you want, we get your, we'll take your leadership now. But in the meantime. The disciples were born into that cycle. How do you be truthful in that? How, how do you continue to tell the truth? The truth, the thing that, uh, that I've, I've recommended this book, Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. And, and it, you know, it's, it's funny because he, you know, he said some opinions about Trump that have made him somewhat unpopular with the Christian groups. And I get that. I get that, you know, that that's, uh, but the, 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 this book is worth reading because the idea that he's bringing back is Eastern Bloc nations, again, from the last 80 year cycle, they're looking at right now and they're seeing the exact same patterns. Wow. And the pattern was not that you had to live by the truth of the communist network or the communist socialist governments. It was that they created lies and you had to live by those lies. And the way to resist, this was the words, he, it was a quote from a, some 90-year-old Czechoslovakian Eastern Bloc guy. The way that I resisted was I didn't live by the lies. Um, hmm. I didn't put a sticker in my window yeah. that said I was a, a, a pro this. I didn't, I didn't live as if a lie was true. And that is if we've seen, oh wow. my goodness, anything in this last year, it wasn't the government pressure that has caused the most pressure. It's the social pressure true. to live oh. by a lie. Massively, yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not without controversy right now, but the fact that we're still talking about masks. Yes. You got to get vaccinated, but then you still got to wear a mask. On what planet are we living? Yeah. But to live by a lie that that's not accurate. I mean, right. you know, and maybe in Fauci's mind, is he deliberately lying or is he just like an ER nurse that doesn't own a trampoline because he's seen how bad a trampoline could be? Sure. You know, uh, an ER doctor that would never own a motorcycle because he's seen what happens to motorcycle people. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Uh, if, if you've gotten a vaccine, I've, I've been vaccinated for almost everything right now, by the way, because I've got to go to, you know, East Africa. They won't even let you in. No one ever put a mask on me after I put uh, the, the vaccine in my body. No one ever said, hey, be careful about yellow fever. That's why you're vaccinated. This is literally the only purpose of it. So anyway, living not by lies is like saying, you know, at some point, um, someone's got to lead the way in this thing. Yeah. Someone's got to walk into Publix, you know, and, and take one for the team on this. Someone's got to open your church up again. Someone's got to, you know, these poor uh, people in Canada right now that are, I mean, this is utter madness. Yeah. And if you're not aware, definitely take some time. I would ask you to take some time, church family and those that are listening to Google or research what's happening in Alberta, Canada, uh, as it pertains to churches. Um, I forget the name of the church off the top of my head. Maybe it's Grace. 
Grace something, uh, but Alberta. If you uh, Google Grace Alberta Canada pastor in jail, it'll be the first link. Yeah, it'll come be up. come up, and it's it's an evolving story. It is uh, it is heart wrenching what is happening up there to our brothers and sisters. We have friends up uh, towards that way that are giving us some pretty good intel of what's happening there, um, and it's 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 just heart wrenching. But but man, to think that that could could be what America looks like in the, in the coming years is, is frightening, but also it, it kind of gives us some marching orders that we better be prepared. We just need to know what we believe to yeah. start with. Yep. Let's start there. Yeah. 100%. That is the, uh, yeah, it's the core of it because here's, here's why that's really important to me. Much of the narrative that we're getting right now, when you see, um, news organizations and I'll say Bob's my autonomy. I might as well just say their names out loud. Religious news services, Christianity today, the Tennessean, when they're writing pieces about Christian leaders, um, the fact of the matter is someone could come into my world right now and find enough people that I have done something wrong to and create a story that is a bad story about Darren. And it would be true. Are we going to let a 26-year-old recent college graduate who is now going to control the narrative of what the church, what is true and what is not true? Um, Again, the media, the the, the thing that gets them printed, the thing that gets them published is if they can get enough clicks. And the things that gets enough clicks is fear and anger. And it is really as simple and as complicated as that. Easily monetized. So... Is some of the stuff they say true? Like the stuff about Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, that's true. It's heartbreaking. Doesn't make God any less real. But are we going to let that narrative be controlled by, again, liberal, progressive, secular humanists? Or can we put the truth on top of that lens and and not attack, tear down? And I believe that that is the the world we're in right now. And they're coming for all of us. They just are. And the, our hope is uh, that whether we're in the pit or the prison or the palace, that God is real in all of those places. Um, and yeah, starting to know with knowing like what is true. Yeah, and being reminded of Ephesians six that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Like this is this. There's a true. spiritual battle going on here. One hundred percent. We we need to be at least honest with ourselves to know that, that this is happening above us as well. Yeah, when you think through, like, who, you know, okay, let's just be really, really, uh, this is not a hard question. If you are leading with fear, is that God or is that, you know, Satan? If there's two kinds of wisdom, right? Satan and from uh, Jesus is fear. Would that be Jesus or would that be Satan? Right. Right. Satan. So if your narrative is fear, and that's the whole thing you're trying to control the country with healthcare, is it fear? Well, that's not from God. If your media empire is led literally by creating fear, is that God or is that Satan? I mean, so the, yeah, it is not flesh and blood. It's right. literally the principalities and the powers yes. that are, you know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, a 26 year old journalist is full of the devil, but I am suggesting that the tools and the system with which she is operating is not of the kingdom of God. <laughs> right. That is of the kingdom of Satan. Um, so give, yeah. Give us a sneak peek to next Sunday. So the next Sunday he, uh, and this is great because it follows this. How do we live right as Joseph, right in this Judah generation? 
the thing that Judah and his brothers are going to do is they're going to throw his brother in a pit. So they don't like him. They don't want him. And again, this is why I think that it was true. They didn't, they believed it was true. They're going to kill him, right? Mm -hmm. I've got annoying brothers. Never once thought I'd kill him. But their idea is uh, we'll put him in this cistern and we'll, uh, that, and we're going to solve our problems. The cistern, and if you've never traveled, especially to uh, uh, Middle East, Near East, uh, cisterns are there in the desert because they need them for water. Yeah. And Genesis 37, uh, after he's in the pit and whatever, they look in and it says, and quote, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Yeah. Okay. A empty cistern is what they were trusting to solve their problems. And I'm going to talk this Sunday about what those broken cisterns in our culture are. Mm, that's good. Uh, the, the things that we put our trust in, identity in, to try to solve our problems. But at the end of the day, they don't solve them. So yeah. position, like if I can get the right position, the right posture, the right clout on social media, that's going to solve my problem. I'm chipping away at it, hacking away. And that's what Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says. The thing you've done is you've... My people Israel have committed two sins. You've forsaken the river of living water, and you have uh, dug for yourself cisterns, cisterns that hold no water. Wow. So in that pit is Joseph, who is a archetype of Jesus. They have forsaken him, and they're dug him. They've put it in a pit. They're trusting in a pit that holds no water. So it's uh, we're going to talk about you know clout. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the things I think in our modern vernacular is we do a lot of trust, like in uh, in therapy and counseling and uh, moral theistic de what I can't even say it right. But the idea that that's not a bad thing at all. I've I, people around here know that I've been through. Yeah. I work with a counselor, but if my ultimate trust is in that, I end up in a thing that I call a trauma and not a trial. Yeah, and a trauma freezes me. A trauma paralyzes me. If I frame everything I've experienced as a trauma then I'm stuck. Yeah. But if I and frame a victim and a victim, but a trial is something that's making me stronger. A trial is something that's propelling me forward. A trial is something that is moving me with purpose with it. And so that is a broken cistern. Anyway, we'll talk about that on Sunday. Awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to this series of six or seven weeks and diving into the life of Joseph, but more about what's true about God. What are the lessons that we can take away from these these stories, these incredible stories, these real life stories and how they can apply to us today, asking the question, what is true about God? And just so grateful for, for the insight from this past week. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the teaching from Sunday, you can find that a, a couple different places, obviously on this podcast, which means you probably have already listened to it if you haven't, but if you haven't, you can go back and find it also on YouTube youtube.com forward slash conduit church. You can watch our live stream from this past Sunday if you want to view it and listen to it that way as well. And as always, you are invited to join us each and every Sunday. We meet three different times, 8.30, 10 a.m. and 11.30 here in Franklin, Tennessee. And What's really cool is you still may be hearing some construction noise in the background. Um, <laughs> We're making broken cisterns outside yeah, our window. Literally. Uh, that's because we are nearing the completion of our of our new facility. So continued prayers for that over the next uh, several weeks. We're getting really, really close. So thank you for joining us. Any last words, Darren? Yeah, I would say this. What's true about God? He loves Joseph and he loves Judah. Yeah, He had a plan for both of them. So even if you're screwing it up right now and you feel like I'm a Judah in this world, it's not too late for you. Uh, the old line of the song, if you're not dead, he's not done. Uh, because Judah... <laughs> Uh, would give birth to a son 
that would become the bloodline of, of Jesus. Jesus was a lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. So for us, like to know that, like there's no guilt and shame in this. There's time and you have an opportunity though to switch. And you'll see Judah later in life. He actually is making some changes in his life that it becomes the Judah that he was called to be to begin with. So just know there's hope for you. There's not, it's not a hopeless situation. It's very encouraging. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us each and every week. And we'll touch base soon. 